Amen. Well, thank you, Andrew. And can I just say, I know we say this often, but every time we worship here at the branch, I just think of how extremely grateful I am for Riley and his team that come in day in and day out on Sundays and get here early and, you know, prepare to lead us in that ministry. Um, I think we're extremely blessed um, in that aspect to have such good worship. A few announcements before we get started. Um, Branch softball is back on tonight, weather permitting. And so for any updates with that, just reach out to Dylan White or or, uh, Jared Patterson. They should have an update um, as it gets a little bit closer. Um, Ephesians guide. So we've been doing family group through Exodus, and we have that guide that's been following along to help us, you know, direct um, our, you know, conversations throughout family group. And now we're having the opportunity next Sunday night to come and to kind of brainstorm, get prepared for our Ephesians study that will be starting this fall. So if you would, we would love for you guys to come and be a part of that as we prepare and brainstorm for that. Family group leader training or leader group training in general, whether it's women's Bible study or, you know, whatever type of leadership position you're in, we're going to be doing that on July 30th. So put that on your calendars just so you can feel adequately prepared to um, lead in that form of discipleship. And if you have not already, kids, you are dismissed to go to uh, your kids' class for the day. So... As I was preparing this lesson, I, I, Stephen asked me probably about a month ago if I'd like to speak, and of course, I was super eager but also super nervous. And while Stephen texted me my verses, um, I studied the wrong passage of verses for the first three weeks of my month. So with that being said, bear with me. Um, not only am I nervous, but I might may be a little dyslexic. So anyway... Um, Thank you, Andrew, for, you know, discussing and finishing the construction of the tabernacle last week. And this week, I get the honor and opportunity to talk about the Ark of the Covenant. So today, we will be in Exodus 37, 1 through 9. But before we read through that, I'd just like to open us up in prayer and prepare our hearts for the Lord. Dear Heavenly Father, uh, I just thank you. I thank you for this opportunity. I thank you for this time where we just get to come and fellowship with you through Exodus 37, 1 through 9. And I pray, Lord, that you are glorified and your son is glorified through this passage and that our hearts are ready to hear what I have to say. I ask all these things in your name. Amen. All right, so Exodus 37, 1 through 9 goes like this. Bezalel made the ark of acacia wood. Two cubits and a half was its length and a cubit and a half its breadth, and a cubit and a half its height, and he overlaid it with pure gold inside and outside, and made a molding of gold around it, and he cast for it four rings of gold for its four feet, two rings on one side and two rings on the other side, and he made poles of acacia wood and overlaid them with gold, and put the poles into the rings on the sides of the ark to carry the ark. And he made a mercy seat of pure gold. Two cubits and a half was its length and a cubit and a half its breadth. And he made two cherubim of gold. And he made them of hammered work on the two ends of the mercy seat. One cherub on the one end and one cherub on the other end. Of one piece with the mercy seat he made the cherubim. And on its two ends the cherubim spread out their wings above. Overshadowing the mercy seat with their wings. With their faces one to another. Towards the mercy were the faces of the cherubim. So just kind of a few things that when reading the scripture I wanted to address is one, we see a unit of measurement that we all may not be familiar with. In the cubit, it's, you know, 
often in Scripture, especially, you know, in the Old Testament. And a cubit was r- roughly equivalent to 18 inches. And so the ark, to give you an idea, would be roughly three and three-quarters feet long, two and a quarter feet wide, and two and a quarter feet high. Um, we can see the importance of the ark because it was made by Bezalel. And I, don't, I think Andrew addressed it. I was in kids last week, but he addressed the qualifications of Bezalel. Bezalel was basically the da Vinci of builders. He, for the Israelites, he was the most qualified person to come and build the ark. And he had overseen the building of the tabernacle, but he took it upon himself to build the ark of the covenant. So it obviously had high importance that, you know, the most qualified person, person to build this took it upon himself to do so. Okay, and so now we see that the ark was covered in pure gold inside and out. And something to note here is gold in this time was the most precious material there was. It's the most valuable thing that the Israelites had, which showed me while reading this that The Lord deserved the highest glory and praise, and the Israelites did that by giving this gold to make the Ark of the Covenant. The Ark had four gold rings on each corner, and what this was used for is, you know, those poles of acacia wood to carry the Ark were meant so that no Israelite, no human would touch the Ark because the Ark was the presence of the Lord. You could not touch it or you surely would die. And so they would put the poles in the Ark for transport so that they could carry the Ark. So that's why you see the gold rings through and what their purpose was. We see the mercy seat, and the mercy seat, something cool to me was, you know, the mercy seat is where the blood of atonement comes for people's sin, but also I thought it was interesting that the mercy seat was the entire length and width of the Ark of the Covenant. It covered the whole thing. I thought that was just unique and cool, and so it covered the whole um, top of the Ark of the Covenant, and it was where we'd come to, or the Israelites would come to atone for their sins. Then we see what's called cherub, and for you, you may not know, and I had to look it up, but cherub were like angelic bird-like creatures who were meant to be protectors. They were meant to guard whatever, you know, they had their eyesight on or whatever their wings covered. And so in this instant, the cherub were meant to guard that mercy seat and protect that mercy seat. So now that we know what the scripture says, what did this mean for the people of Israel? Well, the ark was the opportunity for the Israelites to dwell in the presence of the Lord. And we see this opportunity come about for the first time since Eden. And if you don't remember, just remember way back in Genesis when Adam and Eve were in the garden and they had ate of the fruit and sin, the Lord cast them out of the garden. And when he did so, what did he use to protect the garden? He used cherub. And so that is the reminder of you know, the protectors, and that's where we see that correlation come into play. But to fully understand the ark, I think it's also important to not just talk about what it was made of, but its contents, because it was a box. It did carry something, and it carried three precious things, and the first thing being manna. And if you remember, during the wilderness wanderings in Israel, I mean, excuse me, when the Israelites went out from Egypt and they're wandering in the wilderness for 40 years, they grumbled to Moses and Aaron saying that they were hungry and thirsty, and we see that what did the Lord provide? He provided manna. And we see this in Exodus 16, 32 through 33. Moses is instructing that we keep the manna in the Ark of the Covenant, and it says this, this is what the Lord has commanded. Let an omer of it be kept throughout your generations. 
so that you may see the bread with which I feed you in the wilderness. When I brought you out of the land of Egypt, and Moses said to Aaron, take a jar and put an omer of manna in it and place it before the land to be kept throughout your generations. So this bread was supernaturally kept and preserved, and it was meant as a reminder that the Lord would satisfy all their needs. The second thing we see that was kept in the ark was Aaron's staff. And in number 17, like all the tribal leaders were, you know, groaning and complaining about Moses and Aaron being the leaders. They, they were kind of rebelling against God and who he had put to be, you know, the leadership of the people of Israel. And so what, what God had Moses do is they brought the 12 tribes of Israel together, one staff per each tribe to represent that tribe, and said that whatever tribal staff bloomed, that would be the one that the Lord selected as his ambassador. And we see that, you know, the tribe of Levi is the one that Aaron represented, and his staff is the one that bloomed. So we see that, you know, God reminding the people to not rebel against him. He's the one who elects, and he's the one who leads. And so this was meant to remind the people of Israel God's supreme authority. The final thing that we see that was kept inside the Ark of the Covenant was the covenant with Israel written in stone. Deuteronomy 31, 24 through 26 says this. When Moses had finished writing the words of the law in the book to the very end, Moses commanded the Levites who carried the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord, take this book of law and put it by the side of the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord your God, and it may be there for a witness against you. This covenant set the parameters of God's relationship with his people. It was meant as a constant reminder of God's promises and that if you followed his promises, he was a promise keeper. You follow his commands and he would lead them to the promised land. So now we see why the items in the Ark of the Covenant were so important. It reminded them that God was the promise keeper. It reminded them that God was the supreme authority. And it reminded them that he was, would satisfy all their needs. Now I want to address, uh, address the mercy seat. And earlier, I had said that the mercy seat is where the Israelites went for reconciliation. On the Day of Atonement, the high priest would go into the Holy of Holies. And just to give you a perspective of where the Holy and Holies was, um, in the tabernacle, there were three curtains. On the first curtain, it separated the outside from the tabernacle. And this is where people would come to bring their animals to be sacrificed. So that was that first curtain that separated the, inside, separated the inside of the tabernacle from the outside. The second curtain separated that first little area to the holy place. The holy place is where all priests could come to, you know, commune with each other to discuss whatever they needed to discuss. It was only allowed for priests. And that final curtain was where it separated the holy place from the holy of holies. And this is where the Ark of Covenant would stay. And there was only one person who was allowed in the Holy of Holies, and that was the great high priest. And so just to put in perspective the importance of the Ark of the Covenant, where it stayed, and so that's, this is where we see the mercy seat be. And it was called the mercy seat because it's where God showed his mercy to his people by the blood of, of atonement. The Lord made a provision, an opportunity for provision through this mercy seat for his people. The cherubim, like I said, the cherubim were meant to guard the mercy seat, and 
God is using this to remind his people that sin separates you from the presence of the Lord. This is where the Lord also met his people through meeting the whole high priest. We see that any unholiness that would enter the presence of the Lord, the unholiness of the holy of, in the Holy of Holies, would surely die. But if, we entered according to, if they entered according to the commands, it resulted in blessing and restoration for the people. And one final note I want to make on, when it comes to the application to the Israelites was that the, we talked about how the ark could be carried around. The ark was mobile. So what did this mean? Uh, it, it was meant as a constant reminder wherever the people of Israel went that God was with them. Whether they were setting up camp and they put that ark in the center of camp as their protector or if they were headed into battle to go and get that promised land that God had promised them, he was there with them, leading them into battle. And so this is the, Lord, the Lord's promise that he's just always with the people and a good reminder of that. So now that we see what this means for the people of Israel, what does this mean for the people of the branch in 2023? What does this mean for us? How does this apply to us? Well, the mercy seat is an act of pursuit. John Piper says this, Grace is the pleasure of God to magnify the worth of God by giving sinners the right and power to delight in God without obscuring the glory of God. The Lord longs for a relationship with us, and he actively pursues that, and he pursues that through the mercy seat, and he gives us a right to delight in him through his son and through his son's sacrifice. And what an encouragement that should be to our heart and our souls. May we rest in the finished work of Christ. A lot of the times I know for myself, and y'all probably feel this same way sometimes, I feel like I have to pick up my own sword and I have to fight my own sin and battle and battle and battle so that maybe I feel somewhat holy and somewhat worthy of God. But that is not the case whatsoever. It, there's nothing we can do. When Christ was nailed to that cross and he said, it is finished, what happened? The veil was torn. The veil that once separated all the people of Israel from the presence of the Lord was torn so that now we all can go and we can all be in the presence of the Lord. All right. Hear me, church. There's nothing we can do to reconcile with God, but because of his son, paradise is brought to us. There's no sin that is too bad for Christ to make whole. Our reality is the finished work of Christ. May we be confident in that. And finally, church, the mercy seat is open. Because Christ has died and been resurrected, we now get to spend eternity with the Lord. You no longer need an advocate for you to go into the presence of the Lord and you know, sprinkle the blood on the mercy seat. It, Christ did that. He bore that, and now we are able to just be in the presence of the Lord. Do not take this for granted. I just think all the time about how at any moment on any day I can be in the presence of the Lord. I can talk to God, I can pray with God, and I can worship God. It is with this realization, church, that we should come to the table. So when you go and you take communion, do it humbly, remembering the sacrifice Christ made on the cross to bring us into the presence of the Father. 
When you break that bread and you drink of the cup, remember the promise of paradise in the presence of the Lord that we have been given. Matthew 26 says this, and this is when it's the Lord speaking to his disciples. Now as they were eating, Jesus took bread and after blessing it, he broke it and gave it to the disciples and said, take, eat, this is my body. And he took a cup and when he had given thanks, he gave it to them saying, drink of it, all of you. For this is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins. I tell you, I will not drink again of this fruit of the vine until the day when I drink it new with you in my Father's kingdom. Church, may we long for the day when we drink of the fruit of the vine with Jesus in the Father's kingdom. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Lord, uh, I just thank you for today. I thank you for the Ark of the Covenant um, and what it meant when you know, we no longer had to sacrifice animals, but your son, your perfect and holy son is what was the sacrifice. Lord, may we uh, just reminisce on that as we are going to take communion. May we come to a realization that, you know, someone had to pay that price. And there was a price that was paid so that we could be in your presence. And may that just be a constant reminder to us as we go week in and week out. We love you and we thank you. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.